Well, a lot of people today are looking for hope, and hope has a lot of different definitions, and we use hope in a lot of different ways. You know, say, I, I hope the Braves will win the World Series this year. I, I hope that I, I get that job that I applied for. Or, you know, I, I hope that certain relatives don't show up for Thanksgiving this year. All, you know, all different ways that we use that word, hope. But it's a key word that Billy Graham has challenged us in his vision to share with America, and that's why we're participating in that, is to share, you know, my hope for America. And that hope is found in Jesus Christ, and it is the hope. That's the answer to all the questions and all the difficulties and all the situations that we have in life. And we're offering Matthew training for those of you who are, who are willing to uh, be a Matthew and develop relationships with people and open your home and show the video and then uh, uh, share your testimony. But that Matthew training would benefit everyone. If you want to know more about uh, developing relationships, how to go about that, and then how to be able to develop a, a quick testimony about what God did for you in the past, what He's doing for you now, and what you anticipate in the future. So you can share that with anybody. But then there's that need for hope that answers the question today. Is there any kind of hope for this, for all these issues that we face in life? And what does that hope look like? And the answer to that is yes, there is hope. And what does it look like? It looks like Jesus Christ. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And so for the next several weeks, I want us to look at that concept of hope and how uh, that hope in Jesus Christ, how uh, that true hope that we find that's a, a faith-bound hope enables us to deal with the real-life issues that we face every day. And we all need that hope. It's been quoted to say that we have needs of food and water and air. They're essentials to life. And that human beings can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, and about eight minutes without air but only one second without hope. You see, if we don't have that living hope, then we have nothing. Hope is that necessary element for life and for the well-being of our life. And we certainly know that we live in a culture that's looking for hope and expecting hope in so many different ways and places and for these reasons. You know, we have, uh, we have hurricanes and, and earthquakes and other natural disasters that take place, forest fires that rage. There are threat of terrorist attacks, and we live under that. There are rising energy prices. There are increasing in crime. Wars and rumors of wars surface all the time. And the reality is that most people look for that hope that they think will get them through these times for other places rather than in the only one true living hope. People play the, the Powerball jackpot in the lottery. Thinking if all I got to do is just I can just get those numbers right and, and have that one uh, winning ticket, you know, all my problems will be solved. Others look for a relationship. You know, if I just had that one perfect relationship, if I would find that person and that relationship that would make me whole and complete, then all my problems would be solved. Some people turn to the occult and the horoscopes and other readings like that. Some hope in the government. The government's going to take care of me. You know? And, and the, those who play the lottery have been called those who pay the poor man's tax, and they're hoping that one day their ship will come in. One guy said, if I, my ship comes in, he said, I'll probably be at the airport that day. The correct hope, the true hope that we need, that every one of us in here needs, no matter what we're facing, even if life is going pretty good, at some point you're going to deal with some issues. And if you're dealing with issues today, you know you need hope. Something that gets you up in the morning, something that will keep you going, something that tells you you're going to get through this and there are better days ahead. And that's the hope that's found only in Jesus Christ. And that's the hope that works in our lives when our hearts are broken. It's the hope that works in our lives when we are afraid. It's the hope that works in our life when we mess up big time. 
It's the hope that works in our life when we discover that our family is a fractured family. And so I hope for the coming weeks to be able uh, to pull together God's Word and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for what He would say about that hope to address some of these issues and maybe even more than that. But today I want us to look at the foundation for this, about our living hope. And look with me in 1 Peter chapter 1. Because when we begin reading in verse 3 and we read through verse 9, we find Peter talking about, about this hope. And it's a living hope. You need to understand the background. He's writing to a group of Christians, a group of believers who are in the Roman Empire. And they're being persecuted because of their faith. And, and Peter is wanting to say to them, you know, you, you've got hope. Here is your living hope. Remember that hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And it's that hope that will get you through these situations and these circumstances. So listen to what, what Peter says about this living hope. First Peter 1, beginning in verse 3. Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, what Peter writes to us about is something that uh, it sounds so simple right here, and yet it's profound because he talks to us about the living hope that we have in Christ. And I think there are at least four things that he says about it there that, that we need to understand so that we can better claim this living hope and understand that this is the one true hope because it comes from God through Jesus Christ. First of all, he says it's a hope that transforms your life. You see, when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we're in that process of being born again and then we're in that process of being transformed more and more and more in our spiritual walk with the challenge being to develop to the image and stature of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. In fact, um, C.S. Lewis in one of his writings said, Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. You see, that's why uh, unbelievers in, in, uh, in, um, in Antioch looked at, at the early followers of Christ and called them Christians, little Christians. Some people think that was a put down to them, but I think it was a, a remarkable compliment to them that they would be described as being like in the image of Jesus Christ. And that's what happens in our life when we have this hope of Jesus that comes into our life. He transforms our life. He takes away our sin. Now, he gives us a new spirit and a new nature and a new destination and a new joy and a new purpose for our life. And our life is transformed. That's what Peter says in verse 3. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, just look briefly at how that hope comes to us. First of all, this hope comes from God. It, it, it originates from God. God sends it in the form of Jesus Christ. 
And that means his word is true. That means his salvation is eternal and we are secure. He also says this hope comes from God's great mercy. You see, when we sinned and rebelled against God, we were sinners in God's sight. And he had two choices. He could either do away with us and say, I have nothing to do with them, or he could offer us hope. And in his mercy, he chose to offer us hope in Jesus Christ. He sent his only son, Jesus, into the world to be like us in human form, but then not to sin so unlike us so that he would be the perfect person. And then to die on the cross for our sins and be the adequate sacrifice for, for our sins and to satisfy God's requirements for the repayment of sin, for that sin debt. And then you see, that hope brings about a second birth. When we experience Jesus Christ, we're born again. The first birth is a physical birth, and we're in our physical, natural state. And that means for us that, that we are rebels against God. And that our natural inclination is, is to choose sin and to rebel against God. But that when we are born again, our second birth is that we come into a relationship with Christ. We come to know Christ. We celebrate our life in Christ. And it brings us a second birth. We're born again. We start life anew. We've got a whole new reason for living. We have a hope and a purpose in our life. And then he also says that this hope is made secure by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, it's not just enough for Jesus to have died upon the cross. You see, you can think about all the thousands of millions of sacrificial animals that were, that were slain on the altars as sacrifices for sin. And none of those animals came back to life again. And those sacrifices had to keep being made over and over and over again. But when Jesus came, he was the one true sacrifice. And he went to the cross, an adequate sacrifice to pay for our sins. He was the propitiation for our sin debt. And then he, he was placed in that borrowed tomb. He literally died. And then God brought him back from the dead. You see, if he had not been resurrected, then there would not be that power of God alive in Jesus Christ. There would not be that power of God available to be alive in our life. And it was that power of the resurrection that validated everything that Jesus said. Like, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me shall never die. And he said, because I live, you too shall live. You see, it's the validation that, that, of everything that Jesus taught and claimed to be as the Son of God and the Messiah. And it gives us that living hope. It's the living hope into us that says to us that we have that hope then to face everything in life and to do it with the power of God in our life. There's a nautical term that's used basically in the sailing world today, and it's called uh, kedging. And uh, they use a kedging anchor, which looks a little bit different than, than some anchors. And uh, what sailors do is, is when they're in kind of rough waters or when they're in a, they can't get in the harbor that they want to get into, there's something that's an adverse force against the ship, they'll send some sailors out in a smaller boat and they'll take that anchor with them, the kedging anchor with them, and they will get to the point of destination as to where they want to bring that larger ship and they will drop that anchor. And then sailors on board ship will have a line that's been attached to that anchor and they will pull them, pull, and, and that will pull that boat, that ship, to where that anchor is, and they reach their destination. Now, most times when we think about an anchor, we think that that anchor is dropped to secure us and keep us in one position. But the kedging anchor is designed so that it will literally pull us forward and take us to another place, take us to where we really want to be, take us to where we should be when it's bad weather. And that's what our living hope in Jesus Christ does for us. He is the anchor for our soul that the writer of Hebrews talks about. We have this firm and secure anchor for the soul. 
and, and that is Jesus Christ. But in the case of our relationship with Christ, he's not just the anchor that holds firm when life gets haywire, but he's also that anchor then that is cast before us and that we pull towards to be led to a, a different existence in life, to be led to a different plane in life, to be led to a different level of our spiritual living. And that's where our life is transformed. So that's our living hope that comes into our life and transforms us, and that comes through faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Then there's a second thing that Peter says about this living hope and our relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says then that we have a hope that assures our inheritance. Now, you don't have to be the recipient of inheritance to know what that means. That means that somebody dies and they thought enough of you, whether a family member or a friend, that they remembered you in their will and they left you something, either a prized possession or amount of money. And here recently in the news there have been some weird things that uh, have been left, some inheritance things. There was a woman in Kentucky who died at the age of 81. She had no other living relatives, but she had three dogs. She had three dogs by the name of Bozo, Dolly, and Skippy, and she left her estate of $72,800 that it would go to Walnut Street Baptist Church after these dogs had been taken care of. And the report said that a veterinarian examined the dogs, said they were all three in healthy uh, shape, and that they should last about another 12 years. And if there's any money left after taking care of those dogs, it'll go to Walnut Street Baptist Church. If it's all spent and taking care of the dogs, that church gets nothing. Then I read about a Philadelphia woman. In her will, she, she instructed the executor to take $1 from her estate, invest it, and then to pay that interest off of that $1 to her husband, she said, as evidence of my estimate of his worth. I think you can understand why a lawyer would say this. After working with many, many, many cases over decades of years, he would always say in preparing a will, he would always say that where there's a will, there's a relative. Some of you understand what that means. Now, one of the most interesting ones, though, that I read about was Princess Diana. You know, recently there's been some more news about reinvestigating her death and what was behind that. Was there some kind of plot or whatever? But when she died in 1997, she left an estate of $20.4 million in American money for the two sons, William and Harry. Now, it's been invested since then, and it's grown to about $31.4 million. And it's for her two sons, William and Harry. It's in their name, and they're supposed to inherit it. But the stipulation of the will was they could not inherit it until they turned 30 years of age. In the summer of 2012, um, William turned 30, and he inherited his portion of it. Now, when, when Harry turns uh, 30, then he will receive that estate, that which his mother left for him. Well, that's the way inheritances work. Somebody cares about you, they love you, they give you an inheritance, they leave something in your name, and it's for them. Now, as followers of Christ, Peter says, we have an inheritance that is left for us. And he says that inheritance, inheritance is guaranteed. He says it is, in, it is a secure inheritance. It, 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 is, it is that godly inheritance that God has given to us. It will not decay. It cannot be destroyed. It's incorruptible. It's imperishable. It cannot be defiled in any kind of way. And there are really no stipulations on it. That that is our inheritance that God bestows upon us when we become his child. It's also inheritance that's uh, guaranteed. In verse 4 he talks about that inheritance is being kept for us. In verse 5 he talks about the fact we're being kept for that inheritance. 
It's there and it works for us. There's no way that it's going to disappear. It's not going to be anybody going to claim that inheritance but you. It's for you and for you. But every one of us have that same inheritance given by God. It's also an inheritance that will later be revealed in life. So we're being kept by God now through faith and we're being kept under salvation. We've been saved from the penalty of our sin. We're being saved from the power of our sin. One day we will be saved from the presence of sin. And that would be when Jesus comes back and we're taken to the glorious realm of eternity where we spend that with Jesus Christ in heaven. So just imagine that all along the way that inheritance is being kept for us. And it's not going to pass away. It's not going to diminish. You know, a lot of uh, uh, trust funds are in some accounts now that have taken some hits here lately over the past several years. And some of those investments have decreased rather than increased. Our inheritance is only going to get better day by day. And when we're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, our living hope, we have an inheritance guaranteed for us that will not fade, that will not be destroyed, that cannot be corrupted. And that's because of Jesus Christ, and it's guaranteed by God the Father. Now, the third thing he says is, we have a hope that sees us through every trial in life. Now, wouldn't it be nice if we never had any difficulties in life? Wouldn't it be nice if we never had any sickness or illness and we never had to face the the reality of death? Wouldn't it be nice if we never had to deal with with job situations, unemployment? Wouldn't it be nice if we never had to deal uh, uh, with unfriendly people in this world? Wouldn't it be nice if we never had to deal with bullying at school? And all that goes on and on and on. You see, most of us think that it would be a wonderful life if if we just didn't have all these issues that we had to face. In fact, some people mistakenly think, if I come to be a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm in a relationship with God, then I ought to have a trouble-free life. And God does not promise that to us. So he's not concerned about your comfort. He's concerned about your character. And your character is best developed when you go through the adversities of life. In verses 6 and 7 of our text, Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see what he says to us? It's when we go through the crucible of suffering, when we go through the crucible uh, of, of disappointments and the realities of life, that that is where our faith is developed. That's where our faith is strengthened. It's interesting that after tornadoes in May of 2013 came through Oklahoma, Lifeway uh, sent some research people as well as uh, rescue people out there to, to minister to the people who were victims. And if you can imagine these people standing in in the rubble of what once was their home, and they're asked questions in a survey about how does this affect your faith with God, it just absolutely amazes me that over 60% of them said that in those tragic times, their faith in God was greatly increased. You see, it's born out of our suffering, out of our difficulties, that God wants to shape our character, and He wants to strengthen our faith. We always look in the spring about the month of March and April and we talk about March comes in roaring like a lion because it's usually windy and and it blows the pollen everywhere and the trees are are kind of bending and swaying back and forth like that. And then we look forward to April that comes in like a lamb. Well, uh, botanists tell us that that process of the wind blowing really strengthens the trees as well as making it flexible, making them flexible. 
And the good news about when they become flexible like that, everything that needs to come up through the root system, through the trunk of the tree, and out on the limbs and to the leaves, all the nutrients and everything that's in the ground that that tree needs to draw up into it, it's easier done when that tree is going through the adversity of the winds because it's more flexible, more pliable, and all those nutrients can go through that tree and strengthen that tree the way that it needs to grow. The same thing is true in your life and mine. We might think it would be a great, wonderful life if we didn't have to deal with any adversities in life. But the reality is, it's in those times that God is working in our life to strengthen us day by day. Many years ago, Viktor Frankl said, A weak faith is weakened by predicaments and catastrophes, whereas a strong faith is strengthened by them. We will have, in a relationship with God, a living hope through Jesus Christ. That would not only see us through the times of adversities and suffering. And remember he was writing to Christians early in the Christian era. And talking to them about real persecution that they were facing. And he was saying to them, take confidence in God and in the living hope of Jesus Christ. Because even as you suffer for him, you will be blessed. Your faith will be enriched and you will grow. I think there's a fourth thing that he says about our living hope. And I think he says this. He says, and this is, uh, you can only expect this, so he says that our hope is centered in Jesus Christ. He is that living hope. In verses 8 and 9, Peter says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now we know in reality we've not seen Jesus, but one day we will. We will see him. We will see him in glory. We know that we've been loved by him. And we have that living hope in our life that brings a certain sense of glorious joy into our life. That's that's what Peter says. He says that, that because our hope is centered in Jesus Christ, then there ought to be just a contagious joy that is experienced in our life and that is evident everywhere we go, wherever we live, whatever we do. You see, that's why he would write later on and say then that we need to be prepared for whenever somebody asks us to give a reason for the hope that is within us. When they look at our countenance and see that joy when you go through difficulties and circumstances in life that aren't pleasant. And people ask you, how are you able to do that? You see, that's an opportunity that God has given to you that you need to be prepared to be able to share why you have the ability to go through those times. It's because of your faith and a living hope. It's a living hope that allows you to trust in God, that he's going to see you through all the times that you face. It's a living hope that allows you to live with a joy that's inexpressible in your life. You see, happiness depends upon our circumstances. Joy depends upon our relationship with God. And when we're in a relationship with God and we receive that living hope through Jesus Christ, then there ought to be that joy in our life no matter what's going on. There ought to be that contagious joy that comes from our life, radiant as we live that lifestyle, anchored in Jesus Christ, going forward, being transformed, looking forward to our inheritance, looking forward to seeing Jesus Christ one day face to face, knowing that through every adversity that we face, Jesus is there to walk with us. He's there to strengthen us. He's there to encourage us. He's there through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, the one called alongside of us to comfort us, teach us what we need to know, and to reassure us that God is in control. 
Many, many years ago, the 18th century uh, German philosopher Immanuel Kant uh, told us that there were three questions which mankind has always been asking. And that is, what can I know, what shall I do, and for what may I hope? For that last question, I would say the answer for what may I hope is to hope for a living hope and a relationship with God. And that's not just hope that says, I hope, you know, like the Braves will win the World Series, or I hope that uh, such and such is going to take place, or I hope there's going to be a great day today. But it's a hope that's bound in the person of Jesus Christ. That's a living hope. And it's a guaranteed hope. Because it's backed by God from His mercy. It's His guarantee. And so if you don't have that living hope in your life to deal with all the issues of life, then I urge you today to come to this living hope, Jesus Christ, the Son of God who gave His life for you, and to embrace Him as your Savior, to live with that hope in your life, to know that you can face the future with anything that comes along because you have the faith of God in your life. Father, we bow before you today. We thank you for the living hope that's found in Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that as believers and and we live in that hope, that it will always be evident in our life that no matter what's going on in our life, no matter what we face, no matter whether it's struggles or, or exciting times, good times, or whether it's bad times, that we'll be able to give a witness for you just simply through the joy that comes through our life and that others might see. Father, for those who've not yet come to Jesus Christ as a living hope for their life, to trust Him for for forgiveness of their sins and to lead into a relationship with you, the living God. And I pray that they will come today and come to confess him as Savior and experience that transformation that only he can bring about. And Father, I pray it all for decisions to be made to your glory. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, and our Lord, and our living hope. Amen.